So for this week, I include a few Talmudic passages and it might get pretty dense at a couple points. Uh, so bear with me. Light of infinite. Almost every Shabbat, I go to my friend Lorenzo's Minyan, inspired by the Ostrovo Biala Rebbe. The Minyan is a group of such elevated folks, I love it. You know the feeling you get when you walk into a room full of family members that you adore, or best friends from school and all the jokes you had for all those years come rushing back to you and you know you're about to be surrounded by love? It may sound cheesy, but it's the feeling of being in a community that truly feels aligned. And I found it in this Minyan, with this group of friends in life, light, and love in this space that we've created. After we pray, we move the tables so that we can drink and eat together. And one by one, people start to get up and speak words of Torah, spirituality, and what inspired or moved them that previous week. I was caught off guard and sort of in disbelief when someone got up and shared. I wanted to share a little something based on Erez's Dvar Torah, and it's that anger and hatred only harm the person who holds on to them. I'd gotten screwed out of a deal at work, and I was literally cursing the person in my head, praying that no blessings would come to them. And then reading Erez's words around the Parsha, how to let go of anger, I realized that the person wouldn't even know I was cursing them. And it was only hurting me, because I couldn't sleep because I was just too upset. I knew I had to let it go, take whatever lesson awaited, and be open to the next blessing that is meant for me. I started writing and recording these Dvar Torahs when my ex-wife's mother, Yehuda Schava, but Yaakov Do passed away. It was our one-year yard site, Parshat Truma, and I never thought that I would write a Dvar Torah weekly. But as I continued and started to hear things like this, or receive messages about how it keeps people going and positive throughout their week, I was motivated to keep going. I'm only sharing this because, as I thought of this, I saw that the love that could be created by community, sharing positivity and inspiration, starting in your community and pushing outside of that, and just the power that that brings to each person. It's just so important to push away from being focused on oneself and from existing in negativity, anger, and hatred. As we covered in last week's Tavar, we need to replace self-help with help for others. Self-interest should never trump interest in helping others. We need to shift our mindset from being competitors to being collaborators in life's journey. This is done from moving from a place of feeling separation and detachment to tapping into the connectedness of all things. Moving away from viewing things in a negative light, God forbid with hatred, and moving toward being mindful of oneness. Rav Cook teaches that the more clearly one studies the character of an individual human soul, the more baffled one becomes over the great differences between personalities. It is, however, precisely through this differentiation that they are all united towards one objective, to contribute to the perfection of the world, each person according to his special talent. Surely one must marvel at the higher wisdom wherein, by an inner mysterious power known only to God, these opposites are integrated and related one to the other. And so, through the fusion of all the diverse minds, there emerges a unified structure of consummate harmony. In this parasha, we learn not to act from feelings of hatred, even in circumstances involving our own children, which often bring out our primal feelings of protectedness. It's written, if a man has two wives, one loved, Ahuva, and the other unloved, Senua, literally hated, and both the loved and the unloved bear him sons, but the firstborn will be the son of the unloved one, then, when he wills his property to his sons, he must not give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the beloved wife, in preference to the son of the unloved wife. He must recognize the legal rights of the firstborn of his unloved wife, so as to give him a double share of all he has, for he is the first of his father's strength, the birthright is legally his. There are a few things to dig further into from this verse. The double portion given to the firstborn, and the complexities of love, hate, and preferential treatment. The word sinua, hated, appears four times in the Torah, twice above in connection to the firstborn, and two times in Breshit, in Genesis, in connection to Leah. 
The phrase first of his father's strength only appears one other time in the Torah, and that's in connection to Reuven, Leah's firstborn, about whom it's written, Reuven, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first of my strength, first in rank, and first in power. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov teaches that the firstborn receives a double portion of the inheritance because the strength of his birth puts strength into all subsequent births. That is, by virtue of his birth, we know that his parents are fertile. Rabbi Nachman also says that the birthright is comparable to prayer, which is also characterized by a double portion. First, praise of God, and second, requests for the future. Rabbi Nathan adds that just as a firstborn proves the fertility of his parents, prayers prove their own efficacy. The first times that a person prays for something, they don't know if the prayers will bear fruit. Once they see that the prayers are answered, they continue to pray to God. Chazal, our sages in Talmud Kedushin, point out that the language of beloved means that the marriage was allowed, while unloved or hated means that the marriage was forbidden by a negative commandment, such as Mamzeret, the offspring of a forbidden union, who is subsequently forbidden to marry certain members of the community, such as Kohanim. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein points out that beloved here means that the wife and the love in the marriage is extraordinary, and infers that this verse stresses the importance of parenting and education, particularly that which a mother imparts. In this light, we understand the warning implied in the verse, that even in these two extremes, where one wife is hated because of the forbidden marriage and the other is beloved because of the exceptional education she gives to their kid, the father is still obligated to give the firstborn son of the hated wife the double portion in his estate. The Torah links this prohibition written in this parashat to the man having two wives, one of whom he loves and the other whom he hates. According to Sifri, the Torah is often indirectly teaching us derech eretz, proper behavior, alongside the specific ritual commandment. According to Rav David Tzvi Hoffman, the derech eretz that is being taught here is that it is not good for a man to have two wives, even if it is halakhically permissible. And so here we see a hint of a takana, a decree of Rabbeinu Gershom, against marrying more than one wife. Balei HaTosafot and Abarbanel, on the other hand, state that what is being stressed here in the Torah is a progression of what will occur if a man takes more than one wife, which would inevitably manifest strife in the household. It's interesting that the verse says the firstborn son will be to the hated one rather than if the firstborn son will be. Abarbanel points out that Hashem will give the hated wife the firstborn, as is seen in the case of Leah. Hashem saw that Leah was hated, and he opened her womb. We learn from this that there is a negative commandment not to give the birthright to the son of the loved wife, but to ensure the birthright portion is given to the firstborn son of the unloved one. The firstborn son was born to the hated wife as a punishment to the husband for hating her. So the man is forbidden from perpetuating this hatred and from using his birthright as yet another expression of his preference for the other wife. Sforno points out that this Pusik is to teach that the firstborn son entitlement and extra share in his father's inheritance must not be transferred on account of his father's loving his mother more or hating her, loving her less than the second wife. However, if the father wants to transfer the extra portion of inheritance away from the chronologically entitled son because of his misconduct, this is appropriate. As we know from the Talmud, if the chronologically oldest son did not conduct himself properly, his inheritance may be transferred to another better one. This is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. It appears that this is what Yaakov did when he took the birthright privileges away from Reuven and transferred them to Yosef. As it's written, because he desecrated his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Yosef, the son of Israel. If you notice in this Pusik, it says the sons of Yosef, the sons of Israel, because as Rambam points out, once a firstborn dies, the father can assign the birthright to the grandson, however he desires. In this case, it was referring to a double portion of the land of Israel. When the land was divided in the time of Yoshua, neither Reuven nor Yosef were alive. 
though Yaakov was permitted to transfer the birthright however he liked, since it was not Reuven over Yosef, but Reuven's sons over Yosef. This comes to teach us that one can't act out of sinat chinam, baseless hatred. In the case that the son was simply born to the wife that the husband had less love for, he shouldn't treat unfavorably just because of that. But if the son himself did something that would warrant his loss of favoritism, that's an entirely different story and an entirely different teaching. The focus and the lesson is how one shall and shall not act in accordance with the feelings of love and hate. The Torah comes to teach that our feelings of hate should be subordinate in order to do what's right. All of conflict and war is born of hatred and fear of the other. Peace is born of love and giving to oneself and to others. Feelings of love and care emerge from the action of giving. We've covered this concept through looking at the Hebrew word for love, ahava, which has the root hav, which means to give. So we see love is synonymous with giving. As a people, we need to shift focus from what may differentiate us from one another to what we have in common. In Letting Go, Dr. David Hawkins articulates a technique to relinquish chronic resentment. The mind would like us to think that there is such a thing as justifiable anger, which takes the form of moralistic indignation. We have to look at moralistic indignation, we will see that it is propped up by vanity and pride. We like to think how right we are in a situation and how wrong the other person is. We get a passing cheap little satisfaction out of that, but our muscle testing research proves that the cost is to our overall emotion and physical economy. So another way to think about our collective oneness is through water. We know that water is fundamental to all life. Our bodies are mostly made of water and the brain and heart in particular are composed of 73% water. That means we have 73% in common with every person in the world, which gives new meaning to the saying, the grass is greener where you water it. On top of that, people mirror each other's inner belief system. So if we aren't watering ourselves and those around us in connectedness and positivity, then individually and collectively we can't grow. Hawking says we are physically connected. The internal position we hold about one another is forcing them to adopt a complementary defensive position. It's therefore not Pollyannish to forgive and forget, but a reasonable recognition of emotional realities. And so we learn from this Pasuk and the parasha that we cannot make healthy decisions if they are from a place and a space of anger or hatred. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. reminds us so eloquently, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. These dvars are all part of the Light of the Infinite book series. The idea is that only through light and love can one tap into oneness and be connected to the light of the divine source, known as the Ein Sof, the infinite. And so I pray that we break free from the constrictions of finitude and the darkness that conceals the infinite light and come to a place of revelation, redemption, and everlasting oneness. Dive in deeper at lightofinfinite.com.